I believe that we are in the beginning of end times. I don't know the time frame of the end times, how long it will be that the church age still takes place. You'll learn more about that on Wednesday night. But the reality is, is that because you see what the Bible says, how people will react, you see how the, the Bible, uh, we talked about this last week, actually proclaims nations. You see the nations are in line, the people are there, and also we in the United States of America have done exactly what the Bible says that we are to do and what people would choose to do or not to do. But we, has, we have proclaimed a blessing over Israel. And because we, we proclaimed a blessing over Israel, then blessing will manifest in us. God says in his word, in verse 1 of Acts 1, the former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. Notice the word began. Until the day in which he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles, whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his sufferings by many infallible proofs. We read in the Bible, over 500 people saw Jesus after he was raised from the dead, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And as being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Talking about the second advent or when Jesus returns on the earth. But we know that the rapture of the church happens seven years before the second advent. So we will be in heaven. We will be with God uh, when they're talking about uh, when he restores the kingdom. And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Acts chapter 2, it says, And it shall come to pass in the last days. We are in the beginning of the last days, says God, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, God is a co-equal person, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath. The experience that I had the, the other day, and when I say the other day, it's been a few weeks. The experience I had the other day is this. <clears throat> I went to the grocery store as I normally do. I do a lot of the grocery shopping for my family. My wife sends me the text, I get the list, and I go shopping. So 
So I, I go shopping, and when I walked in there, I was getting the things I was supposed to get, and I walked uh, towards the cash register, and a woman, her name is Evelyn, the woman there uh, said, are you a pastor? <laughs> and I laughed. I said, well, how do you know? Because I was in jeans and a T-shirt. And I said, how do you know? And she says, I just know you look like a pastor. And so I was laughing with her and, you know, what does a pastor look like and, and everything. And, and so the Lord spoke to me right after I did that and said, I told her you were a pastor. The Bible says that he's going to speak to all peoples. The move of the Holy Spirit is going to go in a mighty way. And in that, there is purpose for everything. There's not purpose like you're a magician, you're going to do things, everybody's going to go, wow. There's a purpose in everything. Many are the plans of man, but it's the purposes of God that will prevail, Scripture tells us. And in the beginning of the end times, because we have blessed Israel, we have been a nation that has done, even though we're not perfect, who's perfect in this house? No one is. That we're not perfect, God is pouring out his spirit. She began to express to me that, that uh, they found cancer. They did a biopsy and that there was cancer. They're going to do surgery. This is the second one at this grocery store. And so... So the reality, I said, you know, you know, I'm a pastor, and I do read the Bible. Some pastors don't read the Bible, but I read the Bible. And the reality is that God says that he sent his son to go to the cross for your sin, salvation, and to take stripes upon his back for your healing, and that you have the ability right now to receive the healing power of God. And she says, I want that. And then she says, well, you know, I used to go to church. There was a lot of people that used to go to church. There had been an attack on the, on the, on the church. There has been an attack on the United States of America because years ago, 2005 especially, that we proclaimed things against Israel. We told Israel to divide up their land. We told, and the Bible tells us that in the last days, this was going to begin to take place. But we've turned that around, and we've proclaimed a blessing over Israel, and because of that, blessings upon blessings, and the beginning of the end times is taking place, and this woman, uh, uh, just a few days ago, came to me and said, Pastor, I said, Evelyn, and I had a suit on, I said, now I look like a pastor, don't I? <laughs> and she just laughed, and she says, no, I got to tell you, they went in for surgery, and they said, cancer's gone. Now, let me, let me just tell you, I basically have nothing to do with that except believing that God's doing great things in the kingdom of God. It has no, it's not because I'm a pastor. It's not because, it's because I know God, and I am believing God, and I said, God, you do the miracles now. For years, the churches come and we'll do this and we'll stand this way and we'll put our arms this way and God will do something great. No, God's doing great things now. Let's join it. Ready, set, go. Let's go after this. Let's, let's see God do this. Let's look for it. Let's have our ears open to the things of God. Let's see what God is doing and what he has planned.
Many instances, we get our eyes on people. We get our eyes on things. What's right? What's wrong? What people are doing wrong? What people are doing right? And, and all the different things. And we need to get out of that focus and break this. We have many struggle with their identity with Christ. We struggle with our identity with Christ. I want us in the beginning of 2018 to remove probably one of the biggest roadblocks to success in your call, and it's called shame. I talked about this last year, and I want to bring you an understanding how we overcome shame by learning to have a teachable spirit. Everybody knows everything. You can't tell me anything I don't know because I know, I'm smart. I have everything together in my life. Everything's falling apart, but I have everything together. You can't tell me how to fix it. See, the ultimate goal is accomplishing what God showed me, and it's called outreach. The ultimate goal of everything that we are, everything that we do, is outreach, is to extend beyond self. In doing so, you reproduce yourself in others. I had one person ask me years ago, he was... uh, uh, a youth pastor that spoke at, at uh, conferences and youth camps and everything, and he says, if people are reproduced out of you, do you want to see what you are? And I went, whoa, simple thing to say, deep thing to think about. And so in this, we have to understand that the enemy understands that there's something great God is doing. And because there's something great God is doing, and all we have to do is to be ready to get set and to go, to move into that, to respond to that, to open our ears, to open our eyes, to begin to speak the word instead of speaking the stuff that's going on, begin to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, and God is gonna bathe it. It's just gonna be an explosion. He's going to speak to the unbeliever. He's going to speak to the unchurched. But he's going to lead them to you, the person of outreach, the person that knows the things of the Lord. You are going to be the example for them to move to their next step. So everyone say this, Christ in you. In Hebrews 12, it says, therefore, We also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The the sin that so easily ensnares us 
is not that we cuss, drink, smoke, whatever. The sin that so easily ensnares us is that we get impatient. And watch this. As we get to a place in our life that we get nervous, we get scared, that nothing's happening, and we become depressed. I'm not talking about clinical. I'm talking about emotional. Because the enemy is coming against you and me. He is saying to us, and it's from the very beginning, we're going to see again. It is at the very beginning, the very first thing, the first emotional reaction, we'll say this in a little bit, of Adam and Eve was shame. And the enemy will use this, and I'll explain to you what this means. The word despise, Jesus, Hebrews 12, states on the worst day of his life, he endured the cross and he despised the shame. The word despise is kataphroneo, and it means to think little of, to make no account, to see as insignificant. Literally meaning when Jesus despised the shame, shame to him, he, he literally did this, to keep it out of your mind, to keep shame out of your life. Shame is something you must keep out of your life, and there is a way to do this. It's not because you get over something and that you just forgive. Now, all that is part of the process, but the reality is if you recognize that it is a spiritual thing and wants to destroy the blessings of the Lord on your life by you choosing to be depressed, to get to a place in your life that you just give up and you just, you just can't handle it anymore and you get angry, you get bitter, and you, you, you get to a place in your life that you don't want to forgive. You're mad at everybody. You're mad at the church. And that's where a lot of people have gotten to. They've gotten mad at the church. It was their problem, but they think the church is the problem. On the cross, Satan was attacking Jesus with a spirit of shame. And the Bible tells us that he despised it. He literally thought little of what the enemy was saying, and literally he kept it out of his mind. He despised this spirit. So the author of our faith, Jesus Christ, would not receive shame. Would not receive shame. We have in the classes of freedom, we will be teaching on that, and we'll give you process, but I, I want you at the very beginning of Freedom Ministries to understand that many of the things we face are spiritual, and God is pouring out His Spirit, and He is saying, be healed in Jesus' name. No longer allow this stuff to hang on to your life. So church, there is no shame in the presence of God. So what does that mean? Seek God. Get an OSL, get them in the Freedom Ministries. Go to Bible study. Well, I've heard that end times on Wednesday night. I've heard those things before. You haven't heard my teaching. For those that come on Wednesday, say amen. amen. See, there is no shame in the presence of God, and there is no shame in heaven. Watch this. To the degree that God is present, shame is not present. Because God cannot operate in an atmosphere of shame. 
Shame was the first emotion of fallen man. So in my opinion, everyone say, pastor's opinion. In my opinion of studying the word of God and looking through the word all these years, shame, it is the most treacherous and crafty thing Satan uses to destroy God's plan for our lives. If we accept shame, it will destroy us. Satan says, you are defective and there is something wrong with you, which is totally opposite of what God says. To define shame is this. In freedom classes, you'll learn more about it. But to define shame is this, feeling flawed and there is nothing I can do about it. That's the spirit of shame. So let me explain it this way. There's a book uh, called Shame Off You. You can say a different way. Shame Off You or Shame Off You. Shame is knowing you have to measure up in order to feel acceptable while knowing you can't measure up. And it leaves you with an anxiety that wreaks havoc in your soul. Some of us have, have gone through attacks of the enemy or, or generational stuff that's gone on in our families of sickness and disease and all these things, and we're, we're, we're spiritual, we do good things in the church, we're too, and we're wondering why that we're not healed. We're wondering why we had to go through what we went through. And the enemy is saying, it's you. You're the problem. You have a problem, and it's you. You're flawed, and you can't fix it. And God says, as a father, he said, that's not true. I created you in my image. And when those before you sin, you can cut it at the root in your life. And you can walk in my anointing. So you don't measure what's going on in your life based on who you are. You base who you are on what God said. And God said, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit. Well, I know that'll happen for some people. That won't happen for me. He said, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Are you all people? Amen. And so you have to receive this and have to understand, get ready, get set, go. Are there areas that we need to, to uh, change? Yeah. And one of the greatest areas is having a teachable spirit. Is being able to learn and not walk around and say, I'm so spiritual. No one can ever teach me. Well, I saw in the Bible a guy who thought he was real spiritual and knew everything, and so God brought a donkey to speak to him. Just saying. <laughs> See, Satan uses condemnation and shame. God uses, and I call it good guilt and conviction. Satan's result is to destroy the plan of God. God's result is forgiveness of sin and freedom to move forward. Everyone say freedom. freedom. 
freedom to move forward. God wants a shame-free church. Jesus at the cross solved the sin problem and the shame problem. He said he despised the shame. He said, I will not allow that to happen in my life, so what I give you, church, you have the authority to tell shame to go jump in the lake. 1 John 1, verse 5 through 10. This is so awesome. It says this, This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Verse 9 says this, to confess our sins, that he is faithful to forgive them. In other words, it's gone and it's power. It has no tentacles on you. It's gone and it's power. You want to know why some people just can't stop doing something? Because they don't understand that shame has been defeated at the cross too. It removes, what it does is to cleanse from unrighteousness and remove the power of Satan's clutches and gives you ability to overcome shame. You have that ability to overcome shame. Solomon said this in Proverbs 12.1, whoever loves instruction loves knowledge, but he who hates correction is stupid. Now I know I've read the scripture before and I know we teach our kids not to say the word stupid, but I just wanna say something to you. God said the word. And I wish I knew this scripture when my mom told me not to say stupid. <laughs> Correction is a vital part of life with God. And if you love knowledge, you are wise. That's what it says. So how did Solomon get to be the wisest man in the world besides Jesus? In 2 Chronicles chapter 1, God came to Solomon after Solomon worshipped him, offering a thousand sacrifices. Do you not understand why we are taking more time in the worship aspect of our lives? That we are opening the door for us to do things different than we've ever done before. Because this is an avenue of teaching and of correction to the body of Christ that we're, we're so concerned about the songs, we're so concerned about the words, we're so concerned about the melody, and what we need to be concerned about is that we are worshiping God. There are songs that can bring greater feeling of worship, songs that do not. But I want you to understand, it's our choice of what we need to do. God said, you can ask me for anything to Solomon, and I will give it to you. 
And Solomon's response, remember his response, is give me wisdom. Think about it. (laughs) If God came to you and said, you can have anything you want, son, daughter, I'll give it to you. And at that right moment, your thoughts go to a few people that have offended you and you're angry at, and you would have some dead people. (laughs) You laugh at that, but some of you already have a list. But (laughs) we would ask to win the lottery. We would ask for a house, a car, all the different things. God's response to Solomon, because he asked for wisdom, watch this. Then God said to Solomon, because this was in your heart, notice in your heart, and you have not asked riches or wealth or honor or the life of your enemies. (laughs) See? God knows some people ask him for that. Nor have you asked long life, but have asked wisdom and knowledge for yourself that you may judge my people over whom I have made you king. Wisdom and knowledge are granted to you, and I will give you riches and wealth and honor, such as none of the kings have had who were before you, nor shall any after you have the like. What Solomon said, you know what wisdom is? Knowledge is taking in the word. Wisdom is the correct application of the knowledge that you know. Let me just give you in, in the terms, as I studied this and I felt the Lord tell me about this, is that what Solomon was asking for was wisdom. What Solomon was saying was, I want to be corrected in any area that I need to be corrected. Even though I'm, I'm the biggest giver of the church, I want to be corrected in my giving. Even though I'm the greatest prayer warrior, I want to be corrected in my prayer. Even though I'm, I'm, I serve the greatest in my neighborhood, I want to be corrected in that area. Because I want to be wise. I want to be able to do it your way. And I don't want anything to come in to hinder what you have called me to do and blessed me to do. God says, because of your heart, I will give you long life, riches, and honor, and I will give you the wisdom that you ask for. See, when we say, Lord, correct me, he says, I will do that. When when we are corrected, wisdom manifests. When we're not corrected, we only have our knowledge. We can be smart. We can be smart. I remember in Bible college, you had, you had a class of 225, and you're sitting in the classroom. Of course, I sat towards the back, and uh, I'd sit there and, and uh, with all, all my buddies and different things, and we went through class, and we did well, all the different things. But we always had a few in the classroom, and we called them rubbernecks. And why we called them rubbernecks were they're the ones that would, every time that we would make any type of noise in classroom, they would go. Because they were up front, they were the ones that on the grade scale made the grade scale higher because they didn't work, they didn't eat, no, they ate, but they didn't work, 
And they stayed and they studied all day long where I went to school, I worked six to eight hours a day, six to eight, not 68, six to eight hours a day. And uh, went home and then, then got into ministry, so I would, I would, you know, all of that. And then I'd come and I'd study sometimes till 12, 1 o'clock. Sometimes I'd lay my head on my Bible, osmosis, go to sleep and try to study and get as much knowledge as I can. And in my sophomore year, I began to look at it and say, Lord, I, 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 want, I want to know, I want to remember everything. I, you know, one of my best friends in school was Bill Schwartz, who used to be a pastor here also. And uh, he, he had one of those photogenic brains. He'd read something once and remember everything. And uh, so, but in reality, most of us don't have that. And so I wanted to study, study, and I just, you know, I'd be driving down, I drove for Courier Express, and then I worked for a, a, a warehouse and stuff. And so every point I had, I'd have my notes with me, I'd be looking at them, I'd be working different things. And, uh, you know, I was, I was a A minus, B student once in a while, just because of time frame, ministry, youth group, all that, you know, maybe C plus or whatever. And, you know, you just had all the rubbernecks looking back, and they always got the A's. And the Lord told me my sophomore year, he said, let me tell you something. I love everybody in that room. But, and let me just tell you, in what I heard, the Lord even used the word rubberneck. <laughs> and he said, those rubbernecks I love dearly, and they will live a good life serving me. But I've called you, and I've anointed you. And I want you to understand that if you will just keep a, a spirit that I can correct and mold and shape, you will do great things in the kingdom of God in the ministry. And I want to tell you, you know, <laughs> I've looked, and many of those people that got the greatest grades and everything, nothing wrong with being A+. Plus. Do the best you can. I tried. But nothing wrong with that. It's having a spirit that can be corrected. You might have all the knowledge in the world, but if you can't be corrected by God, then that knowledge is man's knowledge. But if you get the knowledge of God and correction and you begin to know how to apply it, it's called wisdom. Amen? How many of you can relate to that? So, so you, you must recognize that God says, because of your heart, I will give you long life, riches, and honor, and I will give you the wisdom you ask for, a teachable spirit. A teachable spirit brings you to a place where Solomon was. So let me talk to you, what is a teachable spirit? When we were born, we knew nothing. The difference between those who succeed and those who fail many times is not aptitude. This is not in your notes because I want you to listen to me. You're looking at your papers. Many times it's not aptitude, but it's our attitude. Let me say that again. The difference between those who succeed and those who fail many times is not aptitude, but it's our attitude. You ever gone to work, and every time your boss says something to you, you go, yes. 
don't, don't raise your hand. That's you. Or your parents tell you something. Yes, mom. Love you, mom. <sighs> We're all gifted. We have natural talents and abilities. But listen closely with this. Some of the greatest success stories are with those with lesser skills but have a better attitude. To be a disciple of, of Jesus Christ, you must understand this. Disciple means learner. Learner. The blessings of the Lord flow and are flowing in a mighty way. We are in the beginning of the end. Let's overcome shame now by creating a teachable spirit. I can't tell you, not a lot, but sometimes I will have people in my office and they will ask me a question and I will repeat a scripture to them and I will say, this is what God says. You're asking my opinion by what God says. This is what you need to do. Well, I don't agree with that. Wait a minute. Born again believer, you love Jesus. You love the creator of the universe. He says in his Bible, this, straight out, answer to your question. And this is how you can relate it to you in a contemporary way. And then you say you don't agree with it. And what I've learned is before I'd go, oh, what do I need to do to, to help them? And I don't do that anymore. Now I just say, well, you, just, you don't have a teachable spirit. You are asking for wisdom from God. He's given it to you, and you don't even accept it because it doesn't make you feel good, and it doesn't make you look good. I'm getting mean in my old age. No, I just know that they're God's kid. And it's not my responsibility to fix that, but to lead him to the one that can. Amen? So let me, I believe, as I looked at a teachable spirit, I believe there are four characteristics of a teachable spirit. A teachable spirit has humility. See, there, there are things I, I don't know. And I need to learn from those that do know. A teachable person is graciously accepting correction and input. They're graciously accepting it. Well, I don't believe that. I, I don't think that's true. Well, what are you trying to tell me? You know, that they graciously accept that. In Proverbs 9.8, it literally gives wisdom, and that's why I don't try to fix people. It says, do not correct a scoffer, lest he hate you. I can't tell you how many people that have come to me through 37 years of ministry, come to me and ask me for wisdom in an area of their life they're struggling in, and when I give them exactly what the Word of God says, Within two to three months, they hate me. 
Do not correct a scoffer, lest he hate you. Rebuke a wise man, and he will love you. I've been with people that I've said some strong, strong things to them in love with a smile on my face and sometimes maybe a half a smile. And I've said it to them. They've come to me. They've asked my opinion or whatever, and I try to stay away from my opinion. I go to the Word of God. And they ask me, and I can't tell you how many hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people that have come to me, not that I know it all, I don't. There are times I will even answer their questions, say, I don't have an answer to that, but I'm going to find out for you from Scripture. So you need to be humble enough to know that sometimes you just don't know. Amen? You know, I don't float 12 inches above the ground. Some of you might, but I don't. I have humanness in me. But when you find out, (laughs) you have humanness in you too. But do not correct a scoffer, lest he hate you. Rebuke a wise man, and he will love you. See, don't let people lose their dignity when they correct you. Man, it hurts when you, when you bring correction or advice into someone's life and they walk out and they just literally look at you like you're a piece of whatever. Begin to thank people for correction. But it doesn't mean you have to agree with everything, but be gracious about it. A teachable person, this is the third, is seeking wise counsel and input in times of decisions difficulty, or chronic failure. How many people have come to you at work after they've made the decision, after they've done everything they shouldn't have done, and then they ask you how to fix it? The Bible says if they would have a teachable spirit, they would go to someone before they make a decision. That's why, and I'm just going to say this to you, and and. I'm going to be straight. I'm being very strong, and the Holy Spirit told me to be very strong in this point. Is when you come to me after the fact, I can only give you band-aids. If you go to mom and dad after the fact, they can only give you band-aids. We have to, a teachable spirit is one, even though you know, you go to one that can give you counsel in that area. There's wisdom in a multitude of counsel, the Bible says. But what happens is then we live in shame and chronic failure, and every time we do something, it doesn't work because we get in more debt, we get in all this, we, you know, all the different things that go on, and, 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 and the spirit of shame wants to say, look what you did, and bottom line, you did do it, and the reason was is because we haven't been taught how to have a teachable spirit. We haven't been taught in life how to receive counsel, and because of that, what happens is that we lose money, we lose relationships, we lose jobs, we lose businesses, all the above, because we do not go and learn from others that know. You see, 
To not know is not a weakness. To not know and not go to anybody for counsel is a weakness. It is a product of shame. All successful people do it. They go get counsel. You get the best golfer in the world. He's got a coach. You get a basketball player, a baseball player. They got coaches. They got trainers. You go to the best salesperson. They have mentors. The Bible says that we are to be disciples, be a learner, to learn from those that know. And because we do not do that, and because we say, I don't need that, I mean, literally, the first part of OSL is literally telling you how much God loves you. And you know, there are people through the years of OSL that literally have said, you don't go to that discipleship because it's a cult. They're just going to mold you and shape you to be what they want you to be. No. And I want to tell you, I teach the first group. And all it is is about please know how much God loves you. How many of you have gone through all cell one? Can you, amen? Look at the crowd. Look how many people have gone through it. Has that blessed you about the love of God? Is it a cult? No, No. amen. I paid them all to say that. (laughs) Proverbs 11, 14 says, where there is no counsel, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. Proverbs 15, 22 says, without counsel, plans go awry. How do you say that? Awry? Awry. Awry. There you go. Thank you. I lived in North Carolina for 10 years. Just kidding. Just kidding. Without counsel, plans go awry. But in the multitude of counselors, they are established. So here are two standards in seeking counsel. Yeah, I don't go to counsel because I don't think that someone might believe, not believe the way I believe. I don't go to counsel because, you know, they're, they're going to they're gonna say things to me. Well, let me give you two standards in seeking counsel. First of all, don't ever receive counsel that is against the Word of God. So what does that mean? You've got to know what the Word says. So you can get good counsel from a secular source. But if the counsel's telling you to sin, going against the word of God, you might have a dozen people telling you the same thing, don't do it. That's a multitude of counselors, though, Pastor. Well, they're brainwashing you to go against something that God said not to. Here's a second. Don't seek advice from those who are not successful. Now, let me just say it this way. Not successful in the areas that you are seeking counsel for. Because every one of you are successful in some area of your life. One of the smartest men that I knew of wisdom was Gil Dearman Sr. And he graduated from the third grade. 
And there was wisdom in the man that when he would talk, you would hear, you would hear the word of the Lord from him, those that knew him. And many other people, I could give you an example. You know, let me just tell you this. Don't seek advice from those who are not successful. You might go to work offended at your spouse. And all of a sudden, a sweet lady next to you says, well, what's wrong, honey? What's going on? And you just, well, nothing really. No, there's something. Go, what's wrong? Well, I'm just really offended at my spouse. I just really, you are, I am too. At my spouse. Matter of fact, you need to talk to, boom, boom, boom. Let's gather together for lunch and let's talk about it. Let me tell you, divorce happens in groups. I have seen groups, they try to look spiritual. They're not spiritual, they're offended and they gather together. Your support group is offended and counsels you through offense. Don't get in that counsel. Here's the fourth thing. A teachable spirit is submitting to authority and staying accountable. Submitting to authority. You go to someone as a mentor, man, I love you, you're just awesome. I just want to learn from you. I just want to be there, and I just want, oh, I'm just learning so much. And then a month later, they tell you something hard. I don't like you. You know, it's kind of, this is what I call the circle of life. I love you. I don't like you. Oh, you're awesome. You're stupid. The circle of life. Because emotions break us, and let me tell you what that is. It's called shame. That says that you are flawed and you think you're so flawed that it cannot be fixed. And because of that, counsel and love and healing and restoration is right there at your doorstep, but you won't allow it because you don't want anybody to know you can't be fixed. But you can. See, being delivered totally from shame is become teachable walking through your hurt into God's marvelous light. When you feel shame, when you feel you can't do it, you feel you're worthless, you feel like you've made a mistake that can't be fixed. And you know what? Sometimes we do things without counsel that's going to take a long time to be fixed. Some of you probably can relate to that. We've done things out of our, our young life and it's carried for years in our adult life. We know that. But let me tell you, that's still shame. And God can break that and deliver you from that because he said, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Everyone say all again. He's going to pour out on the most spiritual person and the, the worst he will pour out on the smartest person and he'll pour out on the most ignorant person. 
But that doesn't mean that you can't know. That doesn't mean you can't be fixed. That doesn't mean you can't be delivered. That doesn't mean you can't be healed. That doesn't mean that you can't start a new business and make it happen. I want to tell you, God says, I have delivered you from shame. Watch this. Jesus, the one who disciples the most, said, I despise that shame. And I will not allow it to get me anymore. Amen? Amen. And that's what you do. Let's all stand, and I want to make a statement.